Bring your worry, grief, and pain. Every cause you have for shame. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. When your cares have buried you, and there's nothing left to do, lay it all down. Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. 
morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
Thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. It's just always so amazing, so worshipful, so powerful. And that song, what a beautiful name of Jesus, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. That's why we're here today. So welcome to Heart Awake. It is good to be worshiping with you here today. And uh, before I continue on at all, um, by the way, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Mary, and I just kind of fill in here and there and float around and do whatever I can to, to continue to stay involved in ministry, even though um, I've retired, sort of. But uh, I love being a part of everything, so thank you for, to Sarah for including me and inviting me to be a part of the worship today. Um, I would like to invite the kids to come over, to head over to the door there, if they would. It is your time to head downstairs, and uh, I'm sure some great things are planned for you. They get better looking every, every Sunday. They do. They really do. Even the grown-ups, you're not bad. You're not bad. You're a pretty good-looking bunch, i got to admit it. So, kiddos, we know what to do, right? Adults, we know what to do. So let's start our, our greeting here, our, our blessing on the kids. Adults, the Lord be with you. Oh, my goodness. They got this down pat. Have a wonderful morning. Spending time in worship with Jesus. I just wanted to take a moment just to thank all of you for your continued faithfulness to Heart of Wake Ministries um, in so many different ways. Whether you support us volunteering, whether you share your gifts like, you know, sometimes up here or whatever it might be. Everybody that's involved with what's going on downstairs truly a huge commitment. We thank you for your continued financial support of these ministries. One thing that's always inspired me about Heart of Wyke is there is not a day that I go by down Lakewood here, or 160th, and there's not a bunch of cars in the parking lot. There's always something going on. I say this is a church that's a 24-7 church. If you're familiar with the anchor and what goes on over there, does that building ever rest, Nate? Very, very little. So much happening here. So we just encourage you to continue to support, whether you plug in to volunteer or supporting us financially. You can see on the screen there, there's different ways to continue to keep giving. And that's why we can do what we do, because of all of your continued support. So let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Through your love, O Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have called us here this morning to worship you. Each has come, each of us has made a choice to come. And we are very much here by design. It is orchestrated by you. As we come with a variety of emotions, we are reminded again as you joyfully greet us today, just how intimately and thoroughly you know each one of us. When we reflect on your words from Psalm 139, for you have searched me, O Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. This knowledge is just so wonderful. It's too wonderful for me to attain. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the feet, see, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your hand will hold me fast. Surely the darkness will hide me, and the flight will become night around me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. Thank you, Jesus, for your eternal salvation. Thank you for the life that you give us, the blessings too many to count, our family, our friends, our homes, our daily provisions. You immensely, your immensely magnificent creation, as we see the sunshine today, it's, your creation is at every single turn. Thank you for your word, which is the lamp unto our feet and the light upon our path. We embrace its promises, how it's fulfilled, been fulfilled in the past. The same truth that sustains this very day sustains us and the promises that hold the future, our future, one of security and protection and abundance. God, you are so good. Thank you for your deep love towards us, for the unconditional forgiveness and the grace that you have showered on each one of us here through the suffering and the death of your only son, Jesus. And though we are not worthy, dearest Jesus, accept our repentance, our obedience, and most of all, our gratitude. In the midst of our shortcomings, help us, too, to demonstrate that same love with others. May we find each day, through faith, ways to dispense that same gentleness and grace to those we encounter. Help us to slow down. Help us to speak less and to listen more, to discern with patience, to think less of ourselves and more of others. After all, a kind word, a simple act of service, or a listening ear, it might be just what changes that person's day today. May our continued prayer focus this week include those within our family circle, our Heart of White family, and others who need a tender touch from you. So many are grieving the loss of a loved one, whether a recent loss or perhaps they find themselves in the year of the first, that first holiday, that first birthday, that first vacation without their loved one. And these tender memories flowed our minds and spirits. We pray for comfort for them. And Lord, we pray for those going through treatment, the fear and hope that comes along with each one. We pray peace for them. And for those in the midst of difficult relationships, for them, we pray for reconciliation. We pray for those in leadership, whether local, state, governments, uh, national, world leaders, we live in such a delicate age. For them, we pray that they do justly, they love mercy, and they walk humbly with you. And in our prayers, we also cling to the assurance that answers these petitions, remembering that often these answers are only one prayer away. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Move within each person this morning. Set aside all that distracts. We ask that you empower Pastor JB, filling him with the words that you wish for us to hear. And open our hearts and our minds to not only receive this good news, but more importantly, to live it out in the weeks to come. And now in confidence and without fear, we release these prayers to you. Please pour wisdom into our hearts so that our actions and our words and our choices 
will not only be pleasing to you, but pleasing to those around us. Thy will be done in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Thank you, Mary. Your heart, your compassion, your love, and today even some compliments that we're good looking. I, I like that. Well, thank you, Mary. I just made my well. Thanks. I boy, I, I was fishing for that one, and I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, good morning, Fusion family. Uh, I, I, you know, I gotta. I guess I gotta come clean this week after last week's display with the Packers and the Lions. So I'll just say, congratulations, Lions fans, city of Detroit. The snarkiness of me wants to say, for winning your Super Bowl, but I won't. I won't say that. I won't say that. I've been released from the stresses of fandom, so the playoffs are fun. I burned my socks, and, and life is good, and the sun is shining. So we are, we are in a good place. I'm doing okay. Um, played some basketball with some guys over at the Anchor, 8 o'clock at night. If you want to see an almost old guy really struggle for breath, um, anyway, I was, anyway, what am I doing? Anyway. What am I doing? Okay, there is basketball. Let me do some announcements quick. Okay. We got some basketball Wednesday nights um, for adults. If you want to come join us, we need a few more numbers. Uh, This Wednesday night, we have the gift of uh, Ron and Ginny Weirstra's daughter is going to share some music uh, after community night. Check that out. In two weeks, in two weeks, we're looking at doing another potluck to continue to to build this community that is building. Amen. And uh, we're getting to know one another. So name tags also... We got these golden ones, and uh, but pretty soon we have some schnazzy ones with a little fusion uh, logo there stickered on there. So check that out. And then finally, uh, we have these announcements. This is a way to get caught up. And there's a little QR sco- code on your, your little uh, handout that gets you to the calendar. That is a huge resource for understanding what's going on. Now that I'm grounded, now that I'm kind of wired up and amped up, let's dig in. You with me? All right, we are jumping right in, uh, looking at the narrative of Scripture. We've been in a series since this fall using a resource called The Story. We're in a mini-series of sorts. We've been kind of splitting up the story into mini-series just to kind of help keep us going along in this. The mini-series is a kingdom torn. Uh, talking about the kingdom of, of Israel divided into a northern and southern kingdom. And during this part of the series for about four weeks, really the month of January, we're going to be camped out in First and Second Kings. What you're going to find is also along that, with First and Second Kings, there's going to be some of the voices of the prophets uh, kind of speaking into this time as well. Uh, last week I, I showed a chart, and I'll put that on the screen again. Uh, it attempts to kind of capture the major movements in the book of Kings. Last week we were camped out in chapters 12 through 16 of 1 Kings. And today we're really camped out in that middle section that's highlighted in yellow. Uh, 1 Kings 17 all the way through 2 Kings chapter 8. And what you'll notice is in this section of Kings, uh, really the focus and much of the focus is in the northern kingdom of Israel. So many of the stories and what we're going to hear is about in northern Israel. And really it's uh, primarily focusing on some of the major prophets. Um, Elijah, who's one of the great great prophets, and then his successor, Elisha, and it's really their dealings with uh, the kings of northern Israel. 
Now, much of the narrative, as you'll see on that chart, covers the miracle stories of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, there's seven. Elisha has asked for a double, the, double his mantle, or you know, and he got t- 14 miracles, natural miracles. Elisha has compassion miracles. You can tell I'm really, I love those stories, um, but we're not going to focus there, unfortunately. And uh, instead, our hope this morning is really to consider the role of the prophets, And not just the prophets as in Elijah and Elisha, uh, but the prophets throughout scripture, which really many of them, most of them are speaking into this time and a little later in the history of God's people. Uh, In your Bibles, one of uh, a large collection of books are the prophets. Uh, There's 15 books of the Bible that are called the prophets. There's three major prophets, 12 minor prophets. And we're gonna be looking at some of those. What is their role? And this morning, our hope is to explore what what is the biblical prophet? What is their role? What is their message? And then we're going to consider Elijah as an example within the book of Kings. And then, of course, we're going to connect to Jesus and center ourselves around the gospel at the table of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. Are you with me? I really yelled that. I'm sorry. Are you with me? I'm going to take a deep breath because I'm kind of filled with energy, you know. Leading, helping lead worship teams got me amped up a little bit. But this morning, uh, we're going to step out of the book of First and Second Kings and look at one of the minor prophets. If you've been following along in the story, chapter 15, at the end of the narrative, we had Hosea and Amos speak into this time in, in Israel's history. They are written a little later uh, than Elijah and Elisha, but listen uh, to the Lord's word to the people of Israel through the prophet Amos. We're going to be looking at Amos 5 and some select verses If you're willing and able, I'd invite you uh, to stand as we hear God speak to us as a way of honoring our Lord as he speaks. Amos chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. Let me jump to verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. No, seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like fire. It will devour them and Bethel will have no one to quench it. And then we jump ahead to to verse 14. uh, Seek the Lord and now also seek good in verse 14, not evil that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the prophets. Lord, we thank you for how throughout the centuries you have spoken through those you have chosen to speak on your behalf. Lord, we pray that as as we listen to these words, as we listen to uh, some of the stories of your people, our stories, your story, Lord, may, may you speak into our lives. Lord, may you challenge us where we need to be challenged. May you comfort us where we need comfort. And in all things, Lord, may you be forming us more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. 
Uh, I mentioned, um, you know, I, I, I played basketball and there's certain things that I enjoy and, and maybe certain things that I'm maybe a little bit gifted at. Um, but there's one thing that is not a gift for me and that is in the, the realm of the mechanical world. Like even, how am I saying that? That just, that sounds awkward. I'm not like a mechanical guy. Uh, if I have trouble with my car, I, I don't really know what to do. I, I look at YouTube and then I get confused and I bring it to mechanic, right? Um, and so I'm not really a mechanical guy. I, I really have a pretty a rudimental, uh, rudimentary knowledge of how a car works. And, and so, so when one of those, one of those symbols comes on on the dashboard, you know what I'm talking about, those, those flashing, those blinking lights, I'm kind of like, you know, what, what is that? Is that, a, is that a popsicle? Like, what is that telling me? You know what I mean? Like, what are those, what are those, 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 uh, those symbols? Well, I did a quick Google search, and I found this fascinating. Some of you car guys maybe uh, knew this, but did you know that a Google search showed uh, at least 89 different symbols that can pop up on your dashboard or like within your vehicle, like your seat warmer's on from, uh, you're out of gas, 89. Is that accurate? Someone tell me, is that, is that true? That's wild. I don't feel so bad for not knowing anything uh, about these, these symbols. And uh, right now I have uh, one of those lights that's, that's on. It's my tire pressure light, so I do know that one. Um, and it's just broken. So my tire pressure, no matter how much air I put in, I just keep putting air in and it's still, no, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. So I just, it just is a reminder. Hey, check your oil, your, uh, your air pressure. Anyway, uh, but, but here's, a, here's a quick story. When I was back in high school, I learned the value of some of those little warning lights that kind of begin to, to click on. And the way I learned that is, is I was driving an old car that I've, I've maybe mentioned before. Back in high school, my brother and I shared kind of split use of a, a 1995 forest green, because that was the color back in 95, Dodge Neon. Did I, did I share that? Yes, yeah, so we had this Dodge Neon stick shift. It was a lot of fun to drive. No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't a lot of fun. But it, but it, was, a, it was a car, and, and the gas gauge was broken. So, so the gas gauge just was always on empty. And so, um, you know, my, my dad was like, well, hey, just... Just always reset the mileage when you fill up, and then just when it gets to a certain point, fill up the tank. And that's a pretty good plan, um, except for when you don't look at the, the mileage or you don't fill up all the way. And, and I ran out of gas. Uh, back in high school, I ran out of gas. All of a sudden, that's just a terrible feeling if you've ever had that, and the car just kind of sputters to a stop. And, but thankfully, I was only a mile from home, so I got out of the car, and I ran home, because that's what you do in high school, like, I don't know what to do, so I ran home, and I found my dad, and, and he's like, okay, you ran out of gas, Where, where's the car? And I tell him, you know, it's, it's right at 51st Street and Brown Deer Road. I grew up in the city of, or village of Brown Deer, 51st and Brown Deer Road, and he, and he looks at me, he's like, oh, okay, um, you mean right by the gas station? And I said, yeah, right, right across the street from the gas station, exactly, that's where it was. And he's like, so, so he drove me back and we got some gas. And so I learned an important lesson, a couple of important lessons that day. I, I learned that if you run out of gas, um, go to the gas station. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know if they will actually let you borrow one of those gas cans anymore. But anyway, go to the gas station. You don't have to run home. Um, and the second thing I learned was, was the value of, of, you know, a gas reading. No, I don't, I'm, I'm losing, what is it? What is that called? A gauge, thank you. Yeah, gas. I'm not a mechanical. A gas gauge and that little that little light that blinks when you're low on gas. You see, receiving warnings, right, can be incredibly valuable because they help you avoid a slight inconvenience like I experienced in high school or uh, something far worse with your cars. 
And I think most of us are pretty appreciative of these mechanical warnings, mostly, you know, whether it's on the car or a, a smoke detector or carbon monoxide, you know, we're, we're appreciative of those things except for when they malfunction. But how about this? What, what happens, what if the warning is not coming from a mechanical device, but it's coming from a person? Maybe you're caught up in some behavior and, and a friend of yours says, hey, what you're doing is going to lead to disaster and offers you a little warning. My sense is that for many of us, a mechanical warning, that's fine. But the moment someone starts calling me out on some of my own stuff, it's kind of like, you know, mind your own business, not so much. No thank you, right? And now we take a breath, and I think now we're getting a little closer to the role of the prophet. You see, oftentimes, and we've mentioned this in the past, uh, us modern folks, we hear the word prophet or we hear words like prophecy and we begin to think of like a fortune teller, like one who predicts or foretells future events and, and, and that's, that's part of the prophet's role in scripture but it's, it's not primarily what a prophet was to do back in biblical times. Let's talk about the prophets. And before we get into our text, Amos, before we look at the life of Elijah in the book of Kings, it's important to get a proper understanding of the biblical prophets, their role, and their message. Let's begin by looking at the prophet's role. The prophet's primary role was to be the mouthpiece of God. The mouthpiece of God, the mouthpiece of, of God to God's people. Uh, the prophets were to speak on behalf of the Lord, which is why phrases highlighted in yellow on the screen are littered throughout the prophets, the prophets, the books of the prophets. This is what the Lord says, as we had here in Amos. Say to the people, or at the end of something the prophet will say is, declares the Lord, right? The prophet's primary role is to speak on behalf of God to God's people. Now, and sometimes we have examples where, where then the prophet will bring a word from the people back to the Lord, as in with Moses when he's, when he's talking to God on behalf of the people. But the primary role of the prophet, in a general sense, was to help the people hear from the Lord. This was, in a way, the ancient kind of God's ancient form of direct communication, right? For us, it's kind of like sending a text message or an email or, or back in the day, like, like sending a, a, a telegram, right? This was God's way of communicating to his people. But here's the thing about what the prophet communicated to God's people was, was that the word that, of God that the prophet would bring is not just some random or trivial word, like, right? We're so used to sending text messages about everything like, hey, uh, honey, I ate breakfast. You know, it's like, great, that's wonderful. But the prophet's message was, was, was around some similar themes. And so let's look at some of those themes around the message of the prophet. We'll explore a little of these a little bit more in a little bit, but the prophet's primary message can be organized into kind of three areas. Uh, accusation, allegiance, and announcement. There goes that alliteration again uh, that I'm so fond of. Um, uh, in other words, or another way of putting it, the, the prophet would speak calling out the sin of God's people. Uh, then the prophet would call the people to repentance or call them to change, like change your ways, right? Uh, because if you don't, the third part, these are the consequences that are coming. 
If you continue to go on this path, this is where it's going to lead. Now, as well, along with the consequences, imminent consequences, uh, what you'll find in the prophets is this announcement of the day of the Lord. This, this day that will come sometime in the future, what we know is when Jesus Christ comes again and all things will be made new. We talked about that in New Year's. The day of the Lord. So these are the three primary parts, pieces of the message of the prophets. Now, uh, the prophetical books, if you've ever just read through the Bible and started reading some of the prophetical books, uh, the prophets use poetry and imagery and metaphor to bring these themes out, which can make it a little difficult to, to, to really understand what's going on. Uh, an example of, of one of the key metaphors used throughout the prophets, this was found in Hosea, which was in chapter 15. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor of adultery. Right, worship the God alone, and so this, 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 this metaphor of adultery is used to, according to Israel, uh, who is committing adultery against the Lord when they worship other gods. Man, that, that, that metaphor really lands. It's a powerful one. Um, now, now, admittedly, uh, the poetry and imagery can make the prophets hard to understand, uh, especially considering, here's another part that's difficult when you're reading the prophets, those 15 books of the Bible. Um, they're not arranged chronologically. And so that makes, that makes it also difficult to track and follow what's going on. The books themselves are organized thematically often, and so they're grouped by themes and kind of some of these movements. And then those 15 books of the prophets aren't organized uh, chronologically. They're actually organized by length. And so you have the major prophets coming first because they're the longest, and then the minor prophets following. And so what time period in Israel's history are these prophets written and speaking? That can also be a challenge. Uh, all that's to say, though, I think that when you understand these three movements or primary movements of the prophet's message, that can be helpful when you're trying to make sense as you're reading these beautiful works of the Lord through his people. Think of it this way, though. Uh, the prophet is almost like, almost like a divine warning light on your dashboard, right? On the dashboard of life. The prophets are, are like this blinking warning to the people of God to say something is not right. And, and if you don't change something, you're not going to stay on the road that God has, the path that God has for God's people, which is to be a blessing to the nations, right? The prophets. All right, so now let's, let's begin to look at some of the details, the nitty-gritty of the, the prophet's message. What you'll find is when you think about the, the prophet's accusation, the prophet's call to repentance, it's typically around two areas, two areas of sin uh, for the people of God. Usually the prophets are addressing idolatry or injustice. I maybe shouldn't even say or, idolatry and injustice. And if you remember last week, we looked at uh, King uh, Rehoboam and then the northern king Jeroboam. And if you looked at what the, both of those kings were struggling with, uh, Rehoboam, right, the forced labor, what is that? That's injustice. He struggled with injustice, forcing his own people to work and serve the kingdom. Northern kingdom, Jeroboam splits off. And what does he do the moment he becomes king? Remember last week, he erects idols, golden calves, in two of the cities in northern Israel, right? Injustice, idolatry. Right from the beginning, both of these sins are put on display. And so let's consider each briefly this morning, as, and we'll use Amos as kind of our lens and entry point into both. 
First, let's talk about idolatry. Uh, Throughout Israel's history, idolatry, the worship of foreign gods, would continue to be a stumbling block. Over and over again, God's people would gave themselves over to idol worship. You remember earlier on in the story, Exodus 32, the golden calf, they've just received the covenant on Mount Sinai. and, And the first thing they do while they're waiting, actually, for Moses to come back down, they break commandments one and two by erecting these golden calves, right? And from that moment on, this was a problem that continued to lead to disaster from generation to generation. Uh, During the divided kingdom, it continues to be a problem as kings are put in power to lead. And Amos comes in a little bit later uh, than this period, uh, Jeroboam II, and calls out Israel's idolatry as well as injustice. And we're going to see primarily he's calling out injustice. But he also calls out the idolatry of God's people in chapters 2, 3, and 4. And then we get to chapter 5, and really this is the call to repentance. But notice the call to repentance here uh, in verse 4 is, around idolatry. Let's look at those words again. Uh, The Lord speaks through the prophet. Seek me, meaning the Lord, and live. Stop seeking, stop chasing after idols and false gods. Seek the Lord. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. These cities are mentioned. No, seek the Lord and live. Notice the focus, this call to repentance is all around repenting from idolatry. Uh, These cities that are mentioned, seek the Lord because the Lord leads to life. Amos names specific cities, Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba. The the common denominator in these three cities is they were prominent cities uh, in the life and history of Israel that had become known during this time period for apostasy. These were places of idol worship. Remember, one of the cities uh, that Jeroboam erects a golden calf is Bethel, which by the way means house of God. Anyway, idolatry, turn from idols and seek the Lord and find life. Now, let's jump into First and Second Kings, really First Kings chapter 18. We have this account, one of the most well-known stories of the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's calling the people to repentance and calling out Baal. Right, And so we have this powerful scene on Mount Carmel with Elijah versus King Ahab and Yahweh versus Baal. Uh, what's been going on during this time in God's people's history is that King Ahab has, been, has married a, a, a woman from a different nation, Jezebel, and they become this just evil, um, just terrible pair leading the people of God to idolatry. They're killing the prophets of the Lord. And because of this, the Lord sends a drought. And that drought lasts three years when we enter into chapter 18. And this is when this epic showdown happens on Mount Carmel between the Lord and the Baal, right? The Lord, his prophet, Elijah, uh, versus Baal and his 450 prophets and King Ahab. And the, the people in the land are desperate for rain. By the way, Baal is the rain god. And so he's failing them miserably, right? And, and so who's going to answer the people? Who is going to bring relief? Is it the Lord or is it Baal? Now, I just want to draw your attention quickly to verse 21. It's on the screen because these words, I just, they just jumped off the page again as I was reading this story. Uh, Elijah turns to the people who have gathered for this showdown and says this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
The story continues, and the Lord leaves no doubt that indeed the Lord is God. 450 prophets of Baal dance and shout, and they're slashing themselves with swords, and Baal is absolutely silent. Nothing happens. Elijah kind of mocks them a little bit, but then he also offers this simple prayer, and this altar that has been doused with water is consumed with fire by the Lord. And for a moment, the people of God turn back, repent, and turn back to the Lord only to fall back into the same sins. But I don't know about you, friends, but those words of Elijah just hung in the air as I read them this week. How long will you waver between two opinions? See, it wasn't that the people had wholeheartedly rejected the Lord. It's that that they were willing to add whatever deity, whatever idol, whatever power would serve their purpose in that particular time. If we need rain, we'll go to the rain god. If we need this, we'll go to Asherah, right? And I don't know about you, but this is where the prophet's words, I think, continue to to speak powerfully for generations and thousands of years into the future into our context today because for most of us we've talked about this it's not it's not statues made with human hands that that we're in danger of bowing down to but there's other things in our lives that begin to take equal setting with God or even maybe greater and so I began to ask myself this week you know what are the idols that I've allowed to capture my heart what have I given my life toward? What have I invested too much energy in? What do I look to to provide for my basic needs? Is it the Lord or is like the Lord kind of this kind of tag along, you know? And, and some things kind of began to percolate to the surface of my heart. Idolatry. And we talk about idolatry because when we put our heart in things that aren't the Lord, it leads to disastrous places. And really that brings us to the next area of sin that the prophets uh, address, which is injustice. Amos, again, primarily what Amos is doing is calling out the injustices in the nation of Israel during his time. And much of the injustice that that Amos is calling out has to do around the, the mistreatment of the poor by the wealthy and powerful. If you were to read the book of Amos, examples abound, ignoring the poor, Debt slavery, denying legal representation, heavy taxation. Uh, even in chapter 5, 11, and 12, you can read some of the examples that he points out. Uh, but we get to verse 14, and again, it's a call to repentance that kind of mirrors the call to repentance in the verses we read prior. But instead, this time, it's not seek the Lord, it is this, verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Same result, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Friends, this is a, a call to repentance, to, to, to the injustice that's happening in your midst. Turn from that and instead seek good. Do you see how this is a, a call to repentance from, uh, from injustice just as the previous one was a call to repentance from idolatry? Seek good hate evil, maintain justice because here's the reality that the prophet teaches us that remains true today. How we live does matter. How we treat people, it does matter. How we treat the poor and needy among us and to work toward their, their, their thriving in society, it matters. 
Here Amos beautifully makes this connection between idolatry and injustice. And too often these two kind of get pitted against, against one another. Like, like well, what, is, what is our, is, is, it, is it serving the Lord with all our heart or, or do we work toward justice in our societies? It's like, yes, they're, they're not in conflict. In fact, I, I believe they're, they're, they're linked they're linked because I think idolatry, the moment we turn from God, it leads toward injustice. And I think the other way around as well. But when we lose our center, when we lose the Lord as our center, then we lose sight of God's call to love our neighbor, to care for one another. And we begin to fail to see the image of God in every single human person that has been created on this planet Earth. You see, when the king's And when the people of Israel lost sight of Yahweh, they were quick to begin mistreating people and breaking the law, the covenant that God had laid out that demanded worship of Yahweh alone and the fair treatment of the people in their midst. We've talked about that. Now, a quick example from the book of Kings. This is an example of Elijah confronting Ahab's injustice. If you're reading uh, chapter 15 of the story, the, the, the text wasn't in here, but a quick summary uh, of Elijah and King, King Ahab and Naboth's vineyard, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 21, we read the story of Naboth's vineyard. Uh, the story kind of summarized this way. Ahab, uh, the king, spots a plot of land next to his palace. And he looks at that plot of land, he's like, that would make a wonderful vegetable garden, I want that. No joke, that's what he says. And, and the problem is there's a man living there by the name of Naboth, and this is his family plot. And he's unwilling to sell his family plot to the king for any amount of money. And this makes King Ahab very upset. He goes home, he begins whining to Jezebel, his wife, who then says, aren't you king? And, and Jezebel conspires to have Naboth murdered so that King Ahab can have this plot of land for his vegetable garden. And that's exactly what Ahab does. Verse 17 in chapter 21, the Lord says Elijah to confront the king. And he says this, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? He says a lot more after that. He offers King Ahab the consequences, again, the consequences of his and Jezebel's sin. And it will be severe that Naboth's blood will come back on you. Naboth's fate will return to you and Jezebel. And it's kind of crude, like dogs will lick up your blood, but that's exactly what happens to Ahab and Jezebel. Here's the the point. Injustice will not be ignored, especially when it's perpetrated by the people of God who are held to a higher standard, especially when when it's perpetrated by those in power who are held to a higher standard. Idolatry cannot be ignored because it's a betrayal of the Lord and so often leads to injustice. And this becomes one of the primary messages within the prophets. Are you with me? In a way, the prophets are like this warning light for the people of God, blinking and alerting and cautioning the people and cautioning Israel's kings that something is devastatingly wrong. And of course, one of the big differences, of course, is is that warning coming through a person, as you can imagine, are are often not appreciated. And so when you look at the lives of the prophets, who who become kind of irritating to the kings and to the people, um, the the, the people just don't appreciate them, and they don't appreciate when these prophets are coming in and calling them out on their stuff. 
even when it's obvious, right? What's human nature? Someone calls me out on my stuff. Human nature wants to push back, wants to resist, wants to justify my actions, wants to blame others for what I'm doing, wants to compare myself to people who are far worse than me. My things aren't that bad. No, the life of the prophet was a hard, lonely, and, and quite frankly, a dangerous life. You, you will not be liked by many people. That's important to notice when that word prophet kind of gets thrown around today. But this was true for, for, for the prophets thousands of years ago. And, and to be honest, it's true for those who begin to call us out on our stuff today. It's a hard, it's a lonely, it's a dangerous life. And friends, this, this brings to mind, for me personally, as, as I was studying this, a man who I think most would agree was, was a kind of modern-day prophet in his time, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, tomorrow is, is, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? Some of us have off of school, and some of us have off of work, and um, during our planning session, the, Pastor Bill, Pastor Aaron, and I, we always get together every week, and and Pastor Bill, who's really our, our historian, if, you've, if, you've, if you know P- Pastor Bill, but he pointed out uh, and, and just pointed out how fitting it was that, that the story, this series that started in the fall, has landed us studying the prophets on this particular weekend, according to no planning on our, on our end. Like, we didn't plan this. Um, but here we are like, wow, how fitting it is. One of the things that I, I think gets lost in as we remember Dr. King is, I mean, first of all, he wasn't perfect. He had his own issues, right? He was not a perfect man, blameless. Um, but one of the things that gets lost is, is Dr. King was more than just a civil rights leader. It's not just Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., He was a great, wonderful civil rights leader, but he was also a pastor and a dynamic preacher. Why do you think his speeches were so moving? This guy could preach, you know. And one of the things that made his messages and his methods so impactful is the reality that they were rooted in his faith in Jesus Christ. He spoke a powerful message that cut to the heart of our nation, helping us see our nation's sin and injustice through methods, the methods of nonviolent resistance. He was inspired by Jesus, right? And he would say, right, as he would say, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so uh, by nonviolently resisting, he, he shined a spotlight on the injustices that were throughout our society because how can you blame the victim when they're doing nothing wrong? It was powerful. And what we see is that just as idolatry leads to injustice, in other words, a love, an unhealthy love for money, power, control, leads to the trampling of people for our own ends, I would say the same is true for a faith and a love in the Lord Jesus Christ leads us and compels us to love and seek justice for all of those who are created in God's image. Do you feel that? Amen? This past week, just reading uh, some of... um, Dr. King's essays and speeches and sermons this week, I was, I was just even more struck by, by his prophetic voice that was deeply formed by the scriptures. In his famous I Have a Dream speech, as I'm reading that again, he quotes Amos 5. Let justice roll down like the waters. Let's, let mercy and righteousness flow like an ever-flowing stream. 
And then he, he gives this prophetic, like really a prophetic vision of a, of a better future when he's talking about what he dreams of, right? But then there, is, there, is, there are these words that I want to just draw your attention to. These are words, uh, a letter he wrote uh, from within the Birmingham City Jail uh, to a group of clergy members who were who are calling him out for what he was doing. And, and with graciousness and generosity, he's responding in this very long letter to the clergy of, of Birmingham. And, and this is some of the words he writes. He says, beyond this, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Listen to this, just as the eighth century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. He's referring to Amos and the other prophets of scripture. He says, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what's happens, what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Whew. I don't know about you, but, but I hear those words and I'm reminded in a powerful way that God is still speaking to his people today. And God is trying to get our attention even today. Through prayer, of course, through his words, through his word, primarily. But God also speaks through people he, have call, he has called to draw our attention to things that need to change. See, at the end of the day, the prophet's role was to direct the people's hearts back to God and to help them hear a word of the Lord so that we would be brought back to the Lord. Elijah spoke a word from the Lord. Amos spoke a word from the Lord. Hosea, Elisha, they each spoke a word for the, from the Lord. And even, even Dr. King, I think many of the things that he said were words that we needed to hear that were from God. And all of this was to bring people back into a right relationship with God and to bring people back into a right, God-honoring relationship with one another. And here's the thing. In Jesus Christ, God does one better. Jesus not only spoke the word, but we read from scriptures that Jesus Christ became the word of God. Jesus spoke out against idolatry, against injustice. How does, how does Jesus sum up the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's, that's against idolatry. Love your neighbor as yourself. Speaking out against injustice and mistreating one another. Jesus then becomes the fulfillment of the prophet's vision for what was to come and he does it in the most incredible and upside down way. Jesus Christ, the eternal word, takes on human flesh and then lays down his very life on the cross even for his enemy. Breaking the barrier of sin and enmity that existed between God and his people and between people and people. And this morning, we, we, we zero in our focus around this table that stands before us. 
because it is a table of hope. It's a table of of hope found in what those prophets envisioned and announced on that day when Jesus Christ would come again and make all things new. This table is a foretaste of that day that the prophets declare. A vision of, of the people of God united to the Lord Jesus Christ Perfect unity, perfect communion, a vision of God's people, people from all nations and ethnicities united as one body by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a vision of hope. And so we gather here this morning to remember, to remember all that Jesus Christ has done by laying down his own life, that his blood was shed for a complete forgiveness of our sins to reconcile each of us to him and to one another. We gather around this table as a feast of communion because we commune with God. We commune with Jesus Christ and we commune with one another and we come in this as a feast of hope. Because in this moment, as we partake in the bread and the cup, we experience just a foretaste of what will be when Jesus Christ comes again, what the prophets have foretold come true and all things will be made new, and every tear will be wiped from our eye. There'll be no more crying, mourning, pain, or death. I invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts to receive this gift as our worship teams come forward. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work of the prophets who helped the people hear. We thank you most importantly, Lord, for the eternal word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who is the host of this this meal we are about to partake in. We thank you, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we have access to the word. We thank you, Lord, that that in this meal we're reminded once again of all that you've done, all that you are doing in our midst, and all that you will do when, Lord Jesus, you come again. Prepare our hearts as we receive this gift of grace this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Just again, some, some brief instructions. Um, if you are a guest joining us, know that uh, all who uh, believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are welcome at the table. Uh, whether you're on fire for God or whether you're struggling with that faith, you're welcome at the table to be fed and restored. But some brief instructions uh, will form two lines down the, the kind of center side aisles and then work your way back around the outside. There's a, a trash receptacle to dispose of the elements. You will be handed a piece of bread. You will take a cup and partake. Uh, if um, you're gluten-free, um, there's an option at the back, t- at the back counter. Uh, or if you need to or would like to partake at your seat, just raise your hand uh, and you will be served at your seat. But let's remember, once again, the events of that last night Jesus spent with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he, he broke it. 
And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. You see, because the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given for you for complete forgiveness of all your sins. Now come and receive the gift of God for the people of God. Invite our servers to come forward. As you feel ready, come and partake. For every curse, you're the cure. For every sickness, you're the healer. For every storm, you're the call. For all that's lost, oh, what a Savior. Praise, hallelujah, death 
rusty, where sin runs deep, your grace runs deeper for all enslaved. now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Feed the worst and felt the fire. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. Fill with all those anxious thoughts. All your doubts became your. 